Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today, we are speaking to a mom of eight, an educator, and she's a Rebitson. In fact, she's going to explain what Rebitson means. I think it means hero. Gila Ross, host of Power Up Podcast. Welcome. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so I'm so pleased with finally doing this. I know. We've been connected for a while, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love your lives. And I just wanted to say, like, thank you. Cause I feel like you are really serving the community and really giving back and making a difference in the world. Like every time I watch one of your IG lives, like I am able to take something from it and I feel inspired. So thank you. Yeah, very few, I feel like people are able to accomplish that. Thank you. It means a lot for me to hear that. So thank yeah. you. I loved your interview with Jewish Metal. Is that his name? Dovey Halpern? Yes. Yes. That was a while back. His story was great. Yeah. What was really cool is that, I mean, he had reached out to me a while back, but I think he took a break from doing interviews. And I know you primarily do solo episodes and you do a lot of lives. But I think it's really important that when people are struggling, that you can be approachable like I feel like you are. Right, right, yeah. I wanted to do a series on, you know, people's journeys in Judaism. And I, st I still want to do it at some point because I think it's not spoken about enough. It is inspiring to kind of hear when you hear someone else's story and you hear their struggles. And I do want to do more of those on the podcast. Yeah, I think you should because... I mean, I don't know. Are you a Rebbitson? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So technically, like you're married to a rabbi. Yes, I am married to a rabbi. Yeah. Is that a, a label that you take on or? It's a really interesting question because I've got conflicting feelings about it. Because on the one hand, I feel like who am I to call myself a Rebbitson? But on the other hand, I know that someone, if they were half, has half my achievements, whatever, and they were male, would have no problem calling themselves rabbi. So one of the things I feel very strongly about is especially in organizations that hire rabbis and rabbitsons, you'll very often see, you know, rabbi this, rabbi that, rabbi the other, and then um, and, and the women will be just, you know, their names. And I just don't think it lends enough respect to our female educators and our female leaders. And I also think it gives our kids our girls the wrong message right i feel like it gives the the girls that you know if you want a voice in judaism if you want to make a career out of being a jewish educator if you're a rabbi there's something to go for but if you're a woman like you know what i mean like you either have to be this like old holy rabbitson or you're if you get what i mean i do feel like for myself i don't kind of feel like i'm a rabbitson because in my mind that's someone older and holy and whatever but I feel that women who are educators should use the title Robertson because if they were men that were educators, they would be rabbis. And the same thing, I mean, you know, it, well, they, they would have some sort of equivalent to it. So that's kind of my feeling. Like, I do feel like more women should embrace that title. I mean, even the way I asked you, I was like, you are the wife of a rabbi, right? right. Like, that was kind of my understanding of the definition. But I actually like how you defined it as an educator and somebody who has worked hard on credentials. Right. It's very interesting to me because like very often I'm asked to speak or something and they'll always ask me like, what title should we put? Like my husband is never asked that question. Right. And like, 
we're both on an equal, like we're both, he's also, he's a rabbi and he's also an educator and we've both been in the field of Jewish education for the same amount of time. It's of course, you know, a person, a man that's giving a Torah class is a rabbi. And I think the same should be for a woman, you know, a woman who's giving a Torah class is, if that's their profession, then it should, they should be a rabbi too. Yeah, I really like that differentiation. That is so interesting. How long have you guys been educators? We've been together. We've been married 19 years. I've been an educator. I mean, I, I taught like primary school before I, when I was still single. I've probably been an educator for about 20 years. And he's probably also like 20 years. Gosh, that dates me. <laughs> wow. And have there ever been days where you're like, this is not what I want to do? It's funny. There's not been days where I, this is not what I want to do, but there are definitely days where I feel like maybe I should be doing something else, right? Like maybe am I use am I using my best? And I've got my kids, I've got teenagers now. And one of my kids is, you know, nearing the end of high school. So obviously the topic that comes up a lot is that the English system is a little bit different than American system. So the way it works in England is you, you take GCSEs in year 11 when they're 16, and then they choose like three or two, somewhere between two and four, what's called A-levels. And, and those are more specialized subjects. Ideally, the kids are choosing based on what they want to do, right? So if they want to go into sciences, they would choose, you know, math, science, and different sciences. If they want to go into arts or, or so, you know, they would choose different types of subjects like that. So obviously the topic comes up, what do you want to do? Like, and, and they have, you know, career guidance um, officers. And I'm like, do they do that for adults as well? <laughs> so there are definitely times that I, I never, when I grew up and I never, I never thought I would go into teaching, educating my degrees in psychology. I was always thinking maybe I'll do write something with writing or something with psychology, counseling, therapy. So those are the two things that are kind of like still floating at the back of my mind. Like, but I love educating and I love the teaching and I love, you know, opening people's minds and helping people understand. And, and I think also that there is so much about Judaism that is not understood for a lot of people. And maybe it's changing, but hopefully it's changing. And I think with the internet and with social media is changing. But if I think about myself growing up, I don't know what your experience was, but for a lot of people, I grew up in a religious home and I went to a religious school. When I grew up, there wasn't necessarily a safe space to ask questions. So that's why I feel, and I, I do feel like, you know, regardless of where, of, of how religious or how irreligious you are, for a lot of people, the Jewish education stops at a very young age, right? So a lot of them, it, it ends at bar bat mitzvah, right? Now, if you think about it, you have adults that are walking around with a 12-year-old understanding of Judaism. And there's so much of a depth to it. And not a lot of people can be comfortable walking into a room or somewhere or reaching out to someone and saying, hold on a second, how do I know if there is a God? Or hold on a second, you know, what is this Jewish concept mean? Or why do Jews do this? Or why is this important in Judaism? And I think that we need to create that space. And that's what I kind of try and do in my little corner of the world is, is sort of, you know, there's no such thing. I firmly believe that Judaism encourages us to ask questions. It's, it's a religion, you know, that where we bring our heart, but we also bring our minds, right? It's not enough just to love Judaism. I mean, you know, you, you've got to love Judaism, but a lot of that is, is you've got to bring your mind. You've got to, it's not just a leap of faith. Right. It's, we're supposed to know, and we're supposed to ask questions. So, so that's kind of what I guess fuels my passion is, is I want people to explore and experience for themselves, the meaning of Judaism and to find your place within this Jewish journey. So with a religion that encourages questions, but you also said on the flip side of that, there really isn't a safe space for doing that. That's kind of part of my struggle is that, you know, I feel like I had kids who wanted to ask questions that couldn't really be asked or answered. I guess it's a little bit of my story. And I, I remember, as I said, I grew up in a religious home and my father was a rabbi and I went to a religious school. And I remember I was, I must've been a teenager, 14, 15, 13, something like around that, around about that age. And thinking to myself, like, how do we know that Judaism is true, right? If you meet a Christian, they think Christianity is true. If you meet a Muslim, they think Islam is true. How do we know that Judaism is true, right? 
Now, as an adult, now thinking that question, I think that's a very, as an adult looking back, I say, I think that's a very mature question. And I also think it's, it's, it's a very important question, right? Because again, it's not just you do because you do. My feeling is that you do because you do it to a certain age, but if you don't find your own place in Judaism, if you don't find what it means to you, at some point it falls apart, right? It's, you've got to find your own. You've got to find. And that's why, like, what, what I, you know, I've done this a few times on Instagram. Where I'm like, Judaism is a relationship, right? It's a relationship with God. So it can't just be what you were brought up with. It has to be. You have to bring yourself to it. So those sorts of questions are very, very important. And I remember asking that question in class, and the teacher was probably very young had no clue how to deal with that and was probably very, very conscious of the fact that this was being asked in a classroom setting, right? And I think, I don't remember the exact words, but I definitely didn't get an answer to it. It was kind of like that question kind of was shut down, right? And, and kind of like, you know, we don't need to ask those sorts of questions and it's better not to ask questions that will cause more questions or, what, or whatever it is. I think as adults talking towards each other, if you do that with a teenager's questions, those questions don't go away, right? My story has a bit of a plot twist to it, so I'll share it with you. But I think had my life continued as usual, I think I probably would have felt there's no real answer, right? And I think that's what happens a lot of times, right? People ask questions and they're not given an answer. They're sort of whatever, like, you know, faith or this or that or the other. And the question doesn't go away. It's just the feeling that they're, is no answer. Now, so what, what happened to me is that when I was 15, my father passed away very suddenly. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. And thank you. And it, obviously it was huge in my life, but also for some reason that built my face up, right? One of the things why was because I kind of felt that even amidst this craziness, whatever, like God was still there. And I remember, I remember one day, this was when we were doing the unveiling for his stone setting. And I woke up and I was just feeling really not ready to face the day. And I saw a book next to my bed that I didn't know that at the time, but like my sister had left next to my bed and I opened it up and just the page that I opened up to, I read something that really spoke to me. And it was, you know, that kind of thing was like, kind of like, a, to me, I perceived it as a sign that, you know, God was saying to me, yes, this is a crazy time in your life, but I'm here with you. Wow. And that I thought that almost made me cry. Wow. It really was very, very powerful, that that moment. And like, I still remember it now, like feeling, and I, I don't think I'd ever kind of experienced that part of relationship with God until that sort of moment, wow. even growing up in a religious home and in a religious school, right? And I think sometimes that's a little bit, again, I'm not in the formal education world so much, right? I'll get onto that in a moment. Anyway, so what that drove me kind of to do was to start educating myself. I went out and I, start, I started reading books and Rabbi Tat has some incredible books and there's books by Rabbi Arya Kaplan as well that really, really spoke to me. And I found that there were answers, right? It's just that the people I were asking them, I was asking them to, weren't qualified to answer them. And obviously, you know, I think part of the challenge comes from the fact that there's two ways of asking a question, right? People sometimes ask questions because they, they want to know. And sometimes people ask questions because they've made a decision, right? And, and they're not necessarily interested in hearing the answer. And I think definitely when I was growing up, and I think I'm hoping that it's starting to shift, the assumption was that you are asking questions because you've already opted out or you've already made your decision, right? Whereas I think I'm hoping that nowadays we kind of are more in tune to the fact that it is okay. Like, this idea that, that you shouldn't question in Judaism, like it's so not based in reality. Like if you look at the entire Talmud is rabbis arguing and questioning and fighting amongst themselves, right? Like we are the questioners. We are the curiosity, right? We are, right? Like, like that is who we are. And I think, you know, I'm hoping, again, I'm not in the educational, formal educational world. I know that the education that I've been involved in is, is very much outreach. And I think in the outreach world, we're very good at creating that space, right? That you can ask whatever questions you want, right? You can ask whatever you want, right? And someone will try and talk to you and explain things to you. And if people don't know, they will 
you know, we'll sit down together and we'll, we'll look through, we'll go to someone else, right? Like we've created that space in the outreach world. And again, I'm hoping, I don't know where we are in the inreach world, but that has to also follow on into the inreach world. And we have to do that because as you said, you know, with your kids, you, you mentioned that. So what were you saying about your, your kids, that they didn't have that space to ask that their, Well, that their questions were not able to be answered. And right. maybe too, like you said, that it was the setting, right? Maybe it was not the right time. But again, I do feel like if a child is asking a deep question like that and genuinely has a question around God or why are we doing this or really trying to understand it and it's shut down, that can honestly change their whole course of interest. So yep. instead of just wanting to stick to the curriculum and keep the classroom in order, I think that it should be more of an outreach approach. Yeah, I'm totally on the same page because, again, the questions and I think I think at some point we have to. OK, it depends on, on how intellectual and how whatever these is, but at some point you have to know whether like, you know, as much as parents, educators. We want to create a positive Jewish experience, right, for our kids and and, our, and the people that we come into touch with. And, and you know, Judaism has to be fun and exciting and joyous and happy. But we all know that real life has happy times and sad times, right? Real life has times where it gets tough, right? And if it's just because it's fun, it's not going to lead us through. It's the same thing, I think, with, with parenting, right? Like parenting is probably, no. Definitely the hardest job you'll ever do, right? The hardest job you'll ever do. And the reason why we stick through it in the tough time is because we believe in it's so meaningful that we're raising a human being, right? This is the way we change the world by raising good human beings, right? So so we stick with with it because we believe that it's not just gives us something, but we also believe it's meaningful. And I think that's the other part of it. It has to be joyous, it has to be joyful, it has to be positive. But it also has to be meaningful, right? It has to be those times. There's every person comes to a point where there's something about Judaism that, because it's a system, it's not just a thing, right? It's a system. There's something that you question or there's something that is particularly hard for a person. And at that point, what keeps a person going really is knowing that it's meaningful, that it's valuable, that it's worth going through the, the, the tough times for. How do you make it meaningful? That is a really, really, really good question. And I would say, again, it probably means different things for different people. And a person has to find out, you know, what connects them, right? So for some, it is, you know, the values. For some, it is the ethics, right? But ultimately, I really do believe it all comes back to having an intellectual understanding as well, right? Mm -hmm. The emotional connection keeps us, keeps us connected, but we have to have an understanding, right? We have to under have an understanding of God. We have to have an understanding of, you know, what does God want from us? What's the point of in life, right? And what's the point in the tough times, right? All these things, I, I think that's really what gives it meaning, right? Someone who feels that there's a challenging neighbor, for example, right? Someone who feels that a challenging neighbor is just fluke, right? It's, it's just rough. But if someone sees that challenging neighbor and recognizes that, you know what, this challenging neighbor is actually challenging me to become a little bit better, that's meaningful. The meaning, the fact that it's now meaningful because it's not just I've got this annoying neighbor who won't stop parking in my driveway, for example. It's now I've got this annoying neighbor who won't stop drive parking in my driveway. And this is an opportunity for me to practice my negotiation skills or for me to practice my tolerance for others or for me to practice my boundaries, whatever it is, right? When we kind of like understand that there's a deeper reality, it brings much more meaning to every area of our life, not just the religious aspect, but, but everything, everything that we encounter in our lives. I also am curious your thoughts about male and female perspectives of having a relationship and a meaningful relationship with God. Do you think there are differences there? That's this also a very, very interesting question. What do you mean? Men have to go pray three times a day in order to connect to God, or that's what's been instructed. And women don't have to do that. So are women able to have the same kind of meaningful relationship through our few mitzvahs that we're commanded to do? So it's actually a great question. And I've got a whole, I think, a two-part series on, on it. 
absolutely. I think number one, both men and women can have a very deep, meaningful relationship with God. Absolutely, there are differences, right? There are differences. I'm a parent of both boys and girls. My family dynamic is quite interesting because I've got my oldest was a boy, and then I have three girls, and then I have four boys. So it, it's almost like I raised a family of girls, and now I'm raising a family of boys. There were things that I could do with my girls that I just cannot do with my boys. Like I could go grocery shopping with my girls because they would sit and they would, you know, sit in the cart and I could wheel them around and I could leave. I cannot go grocery shopping at all with boys. So I really do believe that boys and girls are different, right? Obviously, it's a spectrum, which doesn't mean that one boy is going to be like that and whatever. But in general, boys and girls are different and we relate to the world differently. We relate in our relationship to God. It is different as well. But what's interesting is that actually, you know, we focus a lot on the differences between men and women in Judaism. But if you go through the 613 mitzvot in the Torah, and if you go through them all, there are, I think, the ones that are very, like, applicable to our daily lives, there's much, much less. I think there's something like, I don't know, thoughts, somewhere between 15 and 30 that really apply on a daily basis, like, say, for example, like kosher, and, you know, not talking bad about other people on Shabbat and, and, and things like that. And the majority, the majority of them are equally applicable to men and women, right? If you boil down the essence of what Judaism is, which is to be, you know, a good person, to connect to God, that is equally applicable to men and to women. And yes, there are ways that it, it is different, right? And, and they do have slightly different roles within Judaism. I, I mean, I, I think one of the briefest ways, as I said, it, it's, uh, I've got, you know, two parts here, but one of the briefest ways of, of doing it is that men kind of, keep the memory alive, whereas women kind of actualize it. That's kind of much, you know, men, they have a mitzvah, for example, to study Torah, just for the sake of studying Torah. Whereas women, our mitzvah is to study as much Torah as we need to accomplish Judaism, right? So that means we have to study all Jewish law and anything that we need in order to stay inspired, which is still a lot. Right, but it's a di- there's a different focus, right? There is a different focus. I think we see the the differences in male and female in, in reflected in the physical world, right? And that's generally everything in the physical world is an analogy to something in the spiritual world. So if you look at the male and the female part in creating the human being, right? The male part he imparts, you know, a very important part of it, right? Which contributes to the DNA, etc. But then the woman takes that small part and she brings it into reality, right? She's the one that is pregnant for nine months and she's the one that gives birth, right? So, and I think that very much is is reflected in Judaism, right? Like like the male job kind of is to bring that memory down, to bring the Torah in, but when then our job is a little bit more to actually actualize it, right? Shabbat candles, we like, we, we create something in the home when we light Shabbat candles and that is primarily a, a, woman's, a woman's job. Wow. I'm like now thinking like, how did you see beauty in all of this and keep that relationship up with God when you lost your father? I don't know if you came from a big family, but that's a lot as a little kid. Yeah, it is a really, really good question. I I do come from a big family. I'm the youngest of 11. Yes, a very big family. It's very hard to pinpoint what exactly, because it didn't really feel like a choice I was making at the time, right? It wasn't that I was making the choice at the time that I've got to have a relationship with God. I just kind of felt like, you know, beforehand, before my father passed away, I was kind of losing my relationship with Judaism, right? And I was kind of, I had these questions and I didn't really have anywhere to, I didn't have satisfactory answers to it. When my father passed away, it was kind of like, wow, you know, this suddenly happened. I don't believe it was random. I believe that there is a God that is behind that and made that happen. Then I kind of felt like, like because I, I didn't, I didn't believe that it, it, he just randomly happened to pass away. I did believe that God had done that. Oh my God, and, that's mature in itself. And and how could you not be angry? And how could you still want to like discover the answers to life's questions? I I think a lot of people would be upset with God. Right. It's a very good question. <laughs> I guess I saw, I, I feel like you're so holy to be able to see I, it in that way. I feel like there were other times in my life where I did have that anger towards God. 
But at that point, it kind of felt like a moment in my life where life changed. There were things that happened that helped me get through it, right? Like even small things like, you know, I had just the right thing at the right time. It's interesting because it's hard to pinpoint, but it really did deepen my sleep. Right. And I didn't have, and sometimes I think to myself, like, I don't know if I would be religious had he not passed away. Right. Like something like that, it does make you kind of grow up. Right. And it kind of makes, made me think, you know, like I want to make something meaningful out of it. Right. You know, it's obviously it's, you know, it was, it happened and it was, um, and again, I'm not sure how much of this was conscious versus like subconscious, but there is, there was that, you know, drive to make something meaningful out of the tragedy really that happened it was so sudden and it was just you know I was young and, and it was it was a turbulent time in my life and it kind of felt like the timing was kind of pushing me to explore Judaism and then when I did start to read and to and to learn about Judaism I discovered so much meaning in it right because the Jewish understanding of challenges and troubles is that there is a meaning, right? We, we look at it in the lens of, you know, the, the, the history of the world, like the world to come, this world. It, 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 we don't believe that things are, Judaism doesn't say that anything's random, right? Everything's sent for a reason. And I think it, having that is helpful when a person is going through a challenge, right? Sometimes it can be hard to understand, like, why? You know, why is this happening? And what meaning am I supposed to make from it? And also, like, I'm good, thank you, right? I've had it. You know? Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> and I think that came later on in life, right, with different things. But I want to know point, about those things. <laughs> uh, I bet you do, hey? Do you feel comfortable <laughs> sharing any of those? Yeah, like tell me times where you questioned it. I'll tell you one time. I don't think I've ever been so vulnerable on a podcast before, but tell you one time when I really questioned it. So about five years ago, five to six years ago, we were living in Vancouver, Western Canada. I was the youth director for a shul there. My husband ran NCSY and we, my kids, my oldest was 12 at the time. And he was going through a bit of a tough time. So, so the Vancouver Jewish community is, it's a huge community, but it's very, the religious community is tiny. And at, at the time he was in a class, he was in the last year of, of primary school, elementary school. And he was in a class with, it was, it was a co-ed class, but he was going to go into high school, which was going to be just boys. He had only three other kids his age and only two, one other boy was going to go to this high school together with him. My son was going through a tough time and we weren't quite sure, is it that the socially it wasn't enough for him or was it just the age or the personality or whatnot? At the beginning of the school year, we were looking for a different job. Uh, in a different city to, to relocate because we, we kind of felt like it was time to move somewhere bigger where him and the rest of my kids would also have much more Jewish infrastructure. And we were told at the beginning of the year, you will have no problem finding a job. And as the year went past, we got closer and closer towards that June, July, and we interviewed with a whole bunch of places. And every place, every job that we interviewed for had a significant disadvantage, right? Like one would have entailed like four hours of driving the kids to school every day. One, yeah, exactly. I was like, no, wait, I'm not doing that. <laughs> one, yeah, one was like, but out, like it was close to Jewish schools, but it was, on Shabbat, there was no Jewish, like, religious kids nearby. So our kids wouldn't have that on Shabbat, which was very, very important. I think, you know, when kids get older, they need, it needs to be fun for them. It can't just be intellectual. It needs to be fun for them. And if their friends are not doing it, then it's not fun. When kids are teenagers, if their friends aren't doing it, it's not fun. I need to we think about that now. <laughs> <laughs> it, that's why our kids, our friends, when our teenagers' friends are so important, because they do have such a huge impact on them when they're aged. But that's, that's another. Anyway, um, we're getting slightly off track there. So we didn't know what to do. So we, we called our rabbi and we said to him, look, this is the dilemma, right? Everything that, was, that we've, we have has a significant disadvantage. We're not 100% sure whether moving to a bigger community is actually going to fix things for this particular child. And we both have really good jobs. Financially, things are good. We're making an impact. What should we do? What did, so we asked the rabbi, what do you suggest? And the rabbi said to us, this is above my pay grade. I don't know what to tell you to do. Go, and he, he actually told us, go speak to Rabbi Roshmol Kamenetsky, who's the leading rabbi of, of the generation. Ask him what to do. So my husband tried to call him. It happened to be, he managed to get through to him one day when, when I was out. I happened to be out and he, was, he had this conversation with him. And he said to him, he, he went through our different options and he, he said to him, you know, this and that, you know, we could go to this community, we could go to that community and explain all the different job options. 
And he didn't really answer. He was just kind of, yeah, okay. He wasn't really giving an opinion. And then out of the blue, I don't know why my husband said this. And he doesn't know why he said this either. He said to him, oh, we could move to Manchester, UK. Right. And, but we don't have any jobs there. And, and we had, we had my, my in-laws live in Manchester and we had visited Manchester over Pesach, the previous, that thing we'd interviewed with any outreach organization. And basically there was no jobs available. He said, Rashmul said, ah, that's a beautiful, that's a great community, right? The, the, the education for the kids there is amazing. Kind of go there. And my husband's like, but we don't have a job. And he just kept repeating, like, it's a great community. And my husband was like, but you know, we may have to go into business. Like, we, you know, here we are impacting people. We're working with young people, young families. We're making a real impact on people. And he's just kind of like, you know, you got to do what you got to do kind of thing, right? And my husband put the phone down and we, he, he told me this conversation. Now, we're not Hasidic, right? So I know when a person who's Hasidic goes to a rabbi and they ask him a question, they are bound by what the rabbi says, right? We, this was not a halachic question. We didn't have to listen to him. And I, I remember like, you know, talking to a friend about it. And I was like, you know, this is what he said. I do not want to go back to England. I do not want to give up our job. We had six kids at that time, like to move to England without having a job, either of us having jobs in a community where there is like, like this very, it's very small. Like the outreach community is like, two or three two organizations i think in the whole in the whole city that could potentially could could employ us and i was like we don't have to listen to him and she said to me she said but you asked because you didn't know what to do you asked because you wanted an answer and it really hit me what she said because it's true we asked because we genuinely didn't know what to do you know we spent a couple of days thinking about it and we, we made the decision to move i didn't want to look back in like six years time and say to myself I wish I would have moved. I wish I, and also because we worked with teenagers, I could see the impact on teenagers of what it was like growing up in a community without a peer support group. It's a very, very hard ask to ask for, for a kid, right? And I, I didn't want to look back in, 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 you know, in six years time and say, oh, I wish I would have moved six years ago and given my kid a positive Jewish experience. So we ended up moving. But it was very, very, very hard. And I remember thinking to myself, like, because at that point I had I assumed, like, that's it. I was done with Jewish education. I was done with 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 Jewish outreach. And I was I was prepared to retrain when I got here. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I was thirty five at the time, and I was thinking, like, why God? Why? You know, like, I spent the past ten years of my life. You know, we lived in Calgary. We lived in Vancouver. We lived in Berlin, Germany. Like, I did it. We spent. Years and years and years giving to the community. Why are you suddenly doing this to us? And it was it was a time where, where I questioned and I asked, and it was it was really hard for me. We were very very lucky because our our story ended quite soon. So basically, we moved to to match the UK, and my older son turned thirteen. His bar mitzvah was two and a half weeks after we moved here. Crazy story all on its own. <laughs> and uh, how yeah. in the world did you do that? I don't know. We pulled it together. We had very low expectations. It was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful event. And it was, you know what? It it, it just worked, right? Thank God that it worked. And it was really beautiful. Surrender. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It taught me so much about how, because you kind of like focus, you get to, because I wasn't so strict, like, because I was like, I have two and a half weeks to pull this thing together. It, it was beautiful and it was nice. And, but like, I was, I think I was able to focus on the actual moment, right? Of having a child and he's my oldest, right? Like becoming bar mitzvah and like you, you get to this glimpse of like the human you're actually raising, right? Instead of like this tantering whatever person in this like, you know, pre-puberty, which is a fun age, you actually get to see it. It, it was just a really beautiful milestone in, in his life. So this was two and a half weeks after we moved here. And one of the people, the, the bosses of who works for Seed in, in Manchester, who runs Seed in Manchester, he came over to my husband at the Kiddush on, on, on Shabbos. And he says to him, something crazy has happened. And I have a job opening. Call me after Shabbat. And we called him after Shabbat. And we it just happened to be that someone had given him a donation that so that he was able to open up a new position within his organization and we got the job and we've been working here since for five years now almost five years 
So, and like, when I look back at that, when I got the job and I, and I was like, wow, you know, like I felt like I've gone through such a hard time and a lot of it was, and, and not in a way, not in a, in a blaming way, but a lot of it was because I was worried about what was going to be right. Instead of just kind of embracing the journey. And I, I think this is something that I kind of try to learn from that is that sometimes a lot of the anguish we cause ourselves is because of the fear of what's going to be, right? You know, like what it's going to be. And, and I think sometimes it shows up a lot in parenting as well. Like a lot of times in parenting, we stress out because what's going to be with this kid? And I think a lot in, in life as well is, is we stress because what is going to be, which is very normal, but kind of if, if we can kind of step back and say like, I don't know what's going to be. Like it could be better than I imagine it could be worse but it could be better and just like sort of focus on the on the now I think that sometimes relieves a little bit of the difficulty wow I love that what's so interesting is we just moved to Texas and my daughter her bat mitzvah is like months away and I'm like what do people do here for that like yeah you know because there's all different versions of that different communities, different shuls, different schools. And right now, like, I'm just happy they're like a week and a half back into school. And, you know, we had some adjustments there. But overall, it's been a good move. And yeah, I am really going with the flow. And it's interesting because I had a bat mitzvah. And it was like back in the day where you invited hundreds of people and you had a DJ and you know, right. I did the Haftorah. And we are still figuring out like our place in Judaism and our place in a community. Like we've been in Texas for a couple months and we just went to like our first synagogue visit last weekend and we haven't had guests. We haven't been guests. We're just figuring out our place and I'm trying to worry less. And, you know, when you and I connected again recently, we were talking about taking the shame out of change. Also, I think taking the judgment out of where you're placed and the opportunities around you and just kind of getting into the flow of life. That's what yeah. I'm trying to do. Yeah. I think those are very, both very, very, and, and there, I mean, look, as human beings, we do judge other people, right? Like it comes naturally and, and we do kind of feel shame, but like, it's interesting because obviously we're in Enel now, we're leading up to the high holidays. And if you look at the Jewish approach to to self-development and i'm not sure how well this is this is understood or not but it's it's very much an action-based right it's very much like the, the teshuva process the process of of which is ultimately the process of change is a four-step process which is all about the action right and our commitment for right stopping the action feeling bad for the action right not beating yourself up as a person right it's about making a commitment around the action right making the commitment about you know who you want to be in the future right and it's about if it's damaged a relationship right what we've done to fix that relationship because obviously you know sometimes we do things that impact other people or we do things that damage our relationship with god and we have to fix that we have to repair what we rupture what we what the, the relationships that we we rupture but it's very much it's not about talking about i'm a terrible person but i did this thing that was wrong Right. And and when we kind of like separate the action from ourselves, it's much easier to kind of say, you know what, I did think that thing that was wrong. And this is what I'm going to do in the future. When we sort of, like, I don't think I'm being whatever, you know, I think we've all been in the place where we kind of feel like, oh, my gosh, like I'm a terrible person. Right. Because I did X, Y, Z. I, that is never productive. That isn't, you know, that doesn't kind of say, oh, I would love to be a better person now. It, it kind of just, it, it sinks, right? But when we say, you know what, like I did X, Y, wrong, right? Like when we take the shame out of it, it's easier to change. And and, and I think it's it's, it's interesting because Brene Brown and, and she's brought the shame into into the public vocabulary. And it's, it's fascinating really to see that even though Judaism doesn't talk about it in so many words, but that is the process of change in Judaism. There's no shame whatsoever, right? It's about, it's about regret. It's about, you know, looking at what I've done, looking at the impact that it's made and making a plan for the future. And, and right, like it, it's, it doesn't have to, shame is, is not, is not part of that whole equation. 
which is which I really think is is such a powerful example for how we should change. And I think it's also powerful that when we can do that, we also teach that to our kids, right? You know, like when when we when our kids see that you know we can own up to our mistakes and we can apologize for them and we can try harder next time, then then it gives them permission to fail and to own up to their failures and to you know make a plan to do better in the future. Do you actually like write down all your accountings and like things that you want to change and work on for the year? Do you do that with your kids or anything or with yourself? There are years that I have done it. I don't do it every year. I don't do it every year. I do try and make like a small commitment every year. There is something very powerful, I think, about writing it down. I don't know. You've inspired me to do it for this year. <laughs> I know. I feel like I have the notebook right next to me. Okay. So yeah, what is something that you want to improve upon? That is a really, really good question. It can be selfish or it can be for your family. It can be for the community. No shame. I think, you know what? I think what, if there's something that I want to, it's being more open and honest about our emotional world. And and it's it's interesting. And, and I'll share with you a story that I've had that happened to me actually today. So one of my kids, so in England, we only start school next week. So one of my kids was saying that, you know, she was telling me, like, I'm really not looking forward to school, right? Like, whatever, you know, and I think it's very, very normal to be nervous about school and right to be, you know, apprehensive and that's just like, you know, summer, summer vacations are coming to an end. And we had a conversation and I tried to be there for her and empathize with her. And I think it was, you know, helpful. But then today I had a day where I was kind of like, I'm really not looking forward to going back to work. And I shared that with my daughter and it was so powerful for her, like, I think it was so powerful for her to hear me say, you know what, I'm actually not looking forward. And I also shared this and I said, you know, like sometimes like the week before is worse than the actual week of, right? Because you're just thinking about like, I'm not looking forward to this. I'm not looking forward to this. I'm not looking forward to that. And she turned around and she's like, you know what, you're right, right? And if I would have turned around to her yesterday and said, like, you know, sometimes the week before is is harder than the actual week. I don't think she would have heard it. But because I was sharing my reality and my emotional world with with her then I think that resonated and I think I think it does something very powerful and I think it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning is that we all struggle as humans right and and when we put that struggle out in the world it makes it easier for us and it makes it easier for other people and I think it's uh, to to also go through the struggle and and to kind of connect over it so maybe that's something that I'd like to sort of focus on this year of being you know, because I think I think it's much, especially like as you know, parents, educators, whatever. It's much easier to to. It's not always easy to kind of like be real and say, you know, this is this is a struggle, right? And and obviously, I think there is a balance between sharing for a constructive purpose and sharing just because you're all over the place, right? But I think there is there is value in there is tremendous value in in connecting and sharing like that in the right places. Yes, I love that. Okay, well, I bless you that you can continue to be open and share for constructive purposes, because when you share like that, it definitely reaches more people and makes people feel comfortable that they can share in that way, too. Right. And I also think that that also translates into our relationship with God, because when we're comfortable, you know, like when we have those questions with God, it is okay to ask him. To say, you know, like, what do you want from me, right? But we have to kind of, obviously, it's a different type of relationship because we're not necessarily going to hear what he says. He may send those messages. We have to be open to listening to them. But when we can, you know, be comfortable with our discomfort, we can also translate that into our relationship with God and and be open and, and have that co- communication, that conversation with God and, and tell him, look, I want right? I want a relationship with you, but I'm finding it really hard right now. I'm finding this hard. I'm finding that hard or whatever. And and, and I think that kind of is also very important for our relationship and, and probably also healing in our relationship with God. So if we have that space to sort of say, like, I am struggling, right? Like it is hard for me right now. I thought I was going to do X, Y, Z with life. And then this happened. And, you know, it's it's like, what do you want from me? And it's hard for me to just do this turn like, like, like you're throwing at me. Well, I may not talk to God like that yet, but I definitely talk to my dad like that. So is there anything that you want to ask my dad? (laughs) Yes, there is. (laughs) So you told me your dad is your hero. And I think that is so cool. And I think as a parent, we want to know, how do you raise 
kids that think you are their hero? What parenting advice, what advice does he have for that? That's what I want to know. Like, what I want my kids to think that I'm their hero too. Once they're past the teenage years and past the eye rolling and all that, but I'd, I'd, like, <laughs> I'd love to, to know what he, what he would say. Yeah, that's, well, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, I will say that you are definitely going to be your kid's hero because of the way that you share, because of how much you think of them and put them first. I mean, my goodness, you've moved out of state. We've done that too, to to try to set our children up for a better future. And I think that that's really big. And Thank you. Know, not everyone will do that. Some people just stay put and they're like, figure it out. You know, there were times yeah. in my life where I definitely wanted to switch schools and my parents were like, you've got two more years until you're at the next place, you know? Yeah. So yeah, cheers to getting uncomfortable and, and really, you know, making change when change needs to be made and yeah. no shame in change. Nope. On the contrary, it, it's what being human is about, right? Growing and changing and embracing that discomfort. <laughs> Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable and like sharing what you don't usually share too. That is like truly an honor for me. And let people know how they can find your amazing podcast. I've shared a few episodes of it and how they can connect with you. Thank you. So my podcast is called Power Up, which is actually a little bit hard to find on Spotify because or Apple, wherever you do it, because there's quite a few. I think the easiest way to actually get hold to to connect with me is if you're on Instagram, I'm, I'm on Instagram at itsgillaroth and my my podcast is in my bio you can you can link to it there you i also have an e- a mailing list if anyone wants to join that you can just shoot me an email at gillaroth at gmail.com i think those are one of the easiest ways to get hold of me instagram or email instagram is it's gillaroth and email is gillaroth at gmail.com i love it thank you so much this has been amazing thank you so much for having me this is an amazing conversation thank you Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Oh, so how do you become your daughter's hero? Do you put on a cape? Well, isn't that interesting? And yet, you were giving Guy LaRoth really the right answer, is that if you put your children ahead of yourself and you are looking to make them the best people that they can be, you're really turning your children into your hero. And isn't that what legacy is all about? And by making them your hero, they become their hero as well. Isn't that an ironic twist? By you making your kid the hero, then you become a hero. That's right. That's exactly right. And Gila is doing the same thing. She came from a family, a big family, where she's the 11th child. And her father, who was a rabbi, and dedicated to building a legacy and a family, and being dedicated to the Jewish people, and being dedicated What is the rabbi that was brought up in this discussion? It's really those people that dedicate their lives, being able to teach others and learning the Torah and learning God's ways and carrying on his message. And how can God really be rewarded? You can't pay him in money. How he is rewarded is by having mitzvahs and having his way of life and his rules and understanding of what's right from wrong passed on through the generations, And he wants it to endure forever because he endures forever. And he wants people to also be able to follow that link and also create that same type of legacy, which is really his legacy. And what Gila is doing is she's carrying out her father's legacy. Who on earth can you be more connected to other than God would be your parents or your father. And she got an unfortunate wake-up call at 15 years old, to lose your father, who's a rabbi and has created a family of 11 children. Those are some big shoes to fill. And she decided also something that's very important in this episode is that if you want to ask questions and you want to be curious and you want to learn, you also have to make sure that you're learning from the right sources, whether it's people or books or podcasts that We're human and we don't have all the answers. And some people give you the wrong answer and can steer you in the wrong direction. So it is important that we don't just take any answer at face value, that we do our research, that we do our brainstorming with other people, that we check our sources and make sure that whatever answer that you're seeking is really real. What do you think of that? 
I like what she said about not having shame in change, too. Well, change is a very stressful or disturbing factor in life. Everybody really wants to be able to have a steady life where they don't have big ups and downs. But unfortunately, in order to make the right choices in life, sometimes you have to experience both, okay? So that you know what terrific rewards are. And unfortunately, we have to also keep our humility and feet on the ground and also sometimes experience or feel great despair. And uh, those people that have experienced both, believe it or not, understand and value the rewards a lot better and they have overcome the adversities where not only is it nice to win, but it's nice to win when you've had to overcome a, a lot of defeats and losses. And I have always told you that you learn more from your losses and your defeats than you do from your wins. When she was looking to make this change or have to move, I'm worried about and stressed out about the job and, and the kind of work that they did in their community, that her husband's a rabbi, that she's a teacher, that really you could, according to her definition, is really a rabbi also, where she fits the same criteria as a man, even though we don't necessarily call women all rabbis for studying and promoting learning, but maybe we should. But what was interesting is that because she had strong values and did such a great job in her community with her husband, that someone sees that. And even though they were going to move, I believe, to Manchester, what happened? Someone understood that value and was willing to donate money to bring that type of education and learning and to give good people an opportunity to run their own business and continue that wealth in their community. So what goes around comes around. When you do a good job and you're a community builder, everybody wants that. Everybody can see value in that. And when you do the right thing, guess what? Things will always be in your favor when you put yourself out there and are helping others. That does get noticed. I hope so. I think it's true. I just went to the old Auntie Schwartz, the little show part of it, and you had where the old people that couldn't go to the new location still were able for this Rosh Hashanah to go to Shul and where the Chabad and where you had people from at the Shurn and you had the Israelis and Rabbi Lipton and his whole family and the old families from Antishvard all under one roof again. Just amazing. Just amazing that when we're in time of crisis and when things look so oblique that good can still come out of it if we just rally together and try a little harder to make peace with each other. And the Jewish people are supposed to be setting that example. So you want to be a hero? Set a good example. Put other people in front of you. Uplift people around you. That's what makes you a hero. I like that. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 